last evening I had a great, Tracy and I just had a great time with you and Sister Kilman and uh, eating food and talking. There's nothing better than that, right? Food and fellowship. And then today he came up and, and poured his heart out and he, he only gave me 45 or 50 minutes to, to really what he probably has hours and days in to teach us. So he's going to be coming back and we're going to set a, uh, a date probably in the spring when he can come back and spend a couple of days or three days with us and just pour into us and allow the Lord to expand our vision. Amen. So Brother Kilman, thank you for coming today and uh, you have your liberty. Let the Lord use you today. Praise the Lord. Let's give the Lord a hand clap of praise right now. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Praise God. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated. And this is a great church, man. I tell you, it thrills me sitting here looking out. And wow. God is good. And you have great pastor and pastor wife. Amen. Amen. We did. We enjoyed. We wow. You don't find very many restaurants like that one we ate at last night. That was, that was just, I, I kept telling my wife on the way home, man, that was, or back to the hotel, that was just a really good restaurant and uh, excellent food. I, I, I don't really care for much food, but <laughs> okay. <laughs> But that was pretty good. <laughs> hey, man, it is so good to be here. I passed by Coshocton. I, I probably even mispronounced the name for a while, okay? But I've, I've passed by Coshocton many, many times going to, to uh, uh, the community. We, go, we, we know some girls that live right there at the edge of Baltic and... Uh, then a lot of connections are we we uh, minister out of uh, the eighth largest Amish community in the United States now it's it's the eighth largest but it is much smaller than this one here okay and uh, this one here is when you get the idea of course uh, there's there's probably over somewhere around 230 church districts of Amish in um, this community and there's 31 in ours okay so you can see how fast that goes down from the top four the top four or five are pretty good size uh, Amish communities and then it it goes down pretty fast from there uh, but uh, God has blessed us to be able to minister to them and uh, some of our best friends I, I, I will be real honest with you some of the greatest friends that my wife and I have are Amish. And I love them with all my heart. I love them with all my heart. And I really, I really can tell you this. It would not bother, it, it would not bother for me to, for them to drive horse and buggy the rest of their life and not have electricity the rest of their life. That would not bother me at all, but for them to have the message and the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's the most important thing in all the world. Amen. And uh, to uh, just to minister to them in a, in a very special way. Real quick, like I just want to say before I get into the...
the word of the Lord here. Our booth is back there. We covered the Amish upstairs here. So, but but back there on the booth, we have we we have five different books. Okay, um, three of them is from the Amish of our community of Arthur, Illinois. That's where my wife and I are from. Uh, my wife does the Amish newspapers. She does a newspaper that is called the Heartland News. That's our local church paper, they, what they call their church paper. Some of you may be familiar with what they refer to as church paper. But uh, the, she does that. And then she does a trade express that's called the Penn Central. And that goes from Pennsylvania, New York, Maryland, uh, all out there on the East Coast it goes to all plains people out there, plain people out there, not plains, plain people out there. And then she does what is called the, uh, the Central Western, uh, Central Western, right? Yeah, uh, of the Trade Express. And that's Illinois, everything Illinois West. All plain people can receive that paper. There's a third division of it that she doesn't do that's called the Michiana. Uh, doesn't come to Ohio. I don't know why. I've asked her boss that owns the newspaper, why don't you do it in Ohio? And uh, he just got ordained as a deacon. Now I know why he doesn't do it in Ohio. He needs, he's too busy the way it is. <laughs> All right. But uh, uh, anyway, we, we carry these books back there. One of them is, it's called Samuel. This is a story, wasn't written by the Amish, but it's written about a young Amish boy in our community. He's a man, young man now, married. And uh, when he was nine years old, he was caught in the PTO of a tractor. Um, and uh, he should have died. And uh, easy read, really easy book to read. Uh, read the story. I couldn't read it. I couldn't get through two or three pages and just, without just crying because I know him. I know him personally. We taxi him and his wife, his mom and dad. We've taxied uh, them, his brothers and sister-in-laws and sisters and brother-in-laws and uh, nieces and nephews. We taxied them on a regular basis. And, and so that book's back there. The other two, a young lady in our community, Dennis and Clara Miller, is a young couple that had a child here uh, a few years ago, and that child spent uh, a long time, up to a year, or maybe even a little over that, right, baby? Uh, that uh, in the Cincinnati Children's Hospital. And, and so uh, the first book that she wrote is called Created in Love. Now what's neat about that is Amish, Mennonite write a lot. When you see those books out there, if, they, if they're truly, you know, if it's not some scam artist uh, telling you something that you don't need to believe anyway, um, then, but, but if most of it's Mennonite that wrote those. Okay, with this is a young Amish mother, and she has personally written these books. First one is Created in Love, and then the second one is Carried in Love. And she is in the process right now of writing the third one. It's pretty close to being done from what we understand and, and getting ready to go to the publishers. Okay. And so if you are interested in those, we encourage you to, to look back there. Now, the neat thing about these right here is uh, we, we do something that God laid upon my heart to do. And that is for each 
set of these that we sell, we give away Brother David Norse's book, his latest book on, called Acts 238. Now, if you don't have that book too, it's back there. And I will tell you, it, it, you listen to everything I said up there and make sure you don't pull out your Acts 238 too quick and all that kind of stuff. You will understand when you read that book why it's a safe book for the Amish. Okay? Beautiful, beautiful presence of the Lord just to fill your room when you're reading that book on Acts 238 that David Norris wrote. And, and so we give that one away for every set that we sell. Or also, uh, uh, Brother, um, yeah, his name's not coming to me right now. Uh, he was, he's involved in multicultural ministries also, missionary for many years, wrote a book called Miracle, and I give that one away also. So to, to, for every set of books we sell like this, that the Amish, I, and, and I will tell you, when we go back to and order these, they, the, the, the Amish ladies that we place the order from, they just, they, they, they will weep, they will cry, and ask us, why are you selling our books? And they, they've actually even told me, you sell more books than anybody else of our books. You sell them. Well, one reason why I sell so many of them is because people know. And matter of fact, the, the, the families that are involved here, all of them have received a book by David Norris on Acts 2.38. Which, by the way, I, I know I need to be preaching right now, but I need to tell this, okay? We are working on a conference right now. I go, I go on a regular basis. Matter of fact, I'm going here in about a week and a half. Not, not this Monday, but next Monday. I will be going to a Amish-operated and ran drug and rehab camp. It's one of its own ranch. It's one of a kind. They started it. Matter of fact, it's an Amish bishop out of the northern Indiana community, Elkhart uh, uh, community, that has grown over into the, the southern part of Michigan there. And so the ranch, it's called Psalms 51 Ranch. Its actually address is in Sturgis, Michigan. And I go there and I teach on a regular basis at that ranch. It's three Amish men. One of them is a bishop. I don't know the, the status of the other one. It's just the one I first got to know. I got to know him as a bishop. The others may be bishops too. I really don't know or ministers or whatever. But uh, I go there and I teach at that ranch. And... Uh, Man, it's one of the highlights of my ministry. I, I've got to be honest with you. It's just one of the highlights of my ministry. But we are putting together a conference that I'm inviting Psalms 50 Run Ranch to come to Arthur, Illinois at, a, at what is called the Auto Center, a Amish building there. And then, I'm asked, then we are inviting Brother David Norse to come to be a teacher. And we're teaching on addictive behaviors and the healing and from the wounds of addictive behaviors okay and and so david norse is going to be approaching both the biblical principle of uh of what the bible says about addictive behaviors as well as the healing of those that got involved in those behaviors but his last session is going to be directed towards those that need to heal and find forgiveness because they were the victim. Okay? And we are, and, and this is, I'm telling you, it's a miracle that is happening. It's absolute miracle that is happening. I'm working with the, a group in our, uh, in our community called the Core Group. 
and uh, all Amish people and to put this together. And uh, I'm going to have Amish youth singing. I'm going to have the schools do the mills. And the only thing that's going to be English about it and apostolic about it is David Norse and me leading in prayer. Everything else is going to be theirs. They're going to have everything else. So, so pray for that. Okay? So just a, I, I, I'm telling you, I'm so excited. <laughs> God is good. And only, and, and, and here's, here's the key, key of that. If you under, really understood, and Brother and Sister Holstead are just, they, they, they're like, Brother Kilman, this stuff does not happen. Okay? Because right now, I've got a Bible study group of people that are leaving. I got other Bible studies going on, but at the same time, I'm working with bishops and ministers in our community to bring this and make this happen. Normally, I, I, I can tell you this. Here's the nature. If you win one Amish person, okay, brother, the, right here, okay? If he would reach the person he works with and bring them in, that whole community will shun him like they shun their people. And it'll be the last Amish person you win in your church. That's just by nature. That's just the way it is. Okay? So to think, I'm going to tell you, it's not Dennis and Debbie Kilman. It is God doing the work. It is God doing the work because we've got them on this side and we've got them on this side and we've got them all the way in between. And God is orchestrating it all and making it happen. Praise God. God is good. You could probably tell I could talk about the Amish all day long, right? Okay. Praise God. If you'll turn in your Bibles, it's so good to be here. Uh, Luke chapter 18 and verse 13. Luke chapter 18. In verse number 13. Luke 18, verse 13. And the publican, standing afar off, would not lift up so much as his eyes unto heaven, but smote upon his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Heavenly Father, I love you today, and I thank you for who you are. Thank you, Lord, for this opportunity, God. And I ask you, Lord, to minister to someone right now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated. I'm going to speak to you on what I have simply entitled, No Longer From Afar. No Longer From Afar. Now, the verse of Scripture that we read is just one verse of Scripture of a little small parable that we read in the Bible. Now, sometimes if we're not careful, we think this is a real, true, actual story that happened. We don't realize, we, we miss that part, part that it's a parable. Y'all have heard of the parable of the two men that came into the temple to pray. One a Pharisee and the other one a publican. And we, we read the, the, the prayer that the Pharisee prayed and we read the prayer that the publican prayed and we, 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 we're told that the publican went home justified. 
And, and if we're not careful, we'll think that's a real story. But actually, it's a parable. It, it's a, it's a story. It, it's a made-up story. It didn't happen. See, because <clears throat> before I get into really the meat of what I want to talk to us about today, I want you to understand what a parable really is and, and how and why Jesus used parables to teach and to instruct and to minister to, to, to His congregation. See, parables are simply made up stories. They are not true events that actually happened. In other words, there was not actually two men, one a Pharisee and one a publican that actually walked into the temple that day and prayed these prayers. There was not one, the, the, the Pharisee did not, that is, he did not really pray the words that is said there. It is a made up story, okay? And Jesus would tell these stories how he wanted to tell them. See, if I told you about an accident that happened down here three blocks away on the corner last night at 11 o'clock that three vehicles was involved and one of them was deceased and they took five children to the hospital, then guess what? There better had really been five children that went to the hospital. It had really better been three blocks down the road. There really had better been three vehicles involved. And there better had been, sad to say, at least one person that died. Because if really, if I'm telling you a real story, and really it happened back, when, back in Arthur, I'm just trying to make it sound better to make you relate to it better and tell you it happened three blocks down the road. And really there was only one vehicle involved in it, and there was no children involved, and there was only one person that had to be taken to the hospital. Guess what? I just lied to you, right? How many know Jesus doesn't lie? Okay, so Jesus taught in parables for a reason. Because he had, he had something he wanted to connect with that group of people with, and there may not be a real story for him to use to draw all the lines together and connect everything so he would tell stories that were parables so he could tell them exactly the way he wanted to tell them so he could make the real points that he wanted to make. So within them, it wasn't real people that he was talking about. So it wasn't a real Pharisee, and it wasn't a real publican, and it wasn't the real temple that he was talking about. But you know what he did? He knew his audience that day would relate to a Pharisee. He knew his audience would relate to a publican, and he knew his audience that day would relate to the temple, and he also knew that he, they would relate to prayers that both of those type of people might pray. Okay? Matter of fact, sometimes Jesus told parables in a way that this group would understand and intentionally, he would know that this group would not have a total understanding. Why? Because of what this group 
knew and who they were and how, what they were connected to and related to, knowing that this group wasn't connected to that and related to that, and therefore they would not understand. For instance, let me give you an illustration. It wouldn't do me much good on Thursday night to my Amish Bible study to be talking to them about the, the universal need of salvation. And so I talk about a guy from the Antifa that was at the state, the, the national capital on December, January the 6th. I'm really up on my politics, by the way. And, and talk about some young Antifa guy who had never been to an apostolic church in his life, that all of a sudden one morning, he walks into an apostolic church and he's sitting there and he's hearing the gospel message for the first time and God begins to prick his heart and he comes to an altar. And then I began to tell about a young Pentecostal boy who grew up in the church, his mom, his dad, brought him to church all his life. But he kind of sat back there and he drew pictures. He talked. Ran to the bathroom all the time. And he had never been pricked in his heart to make his way to an altar of repentance. And all of a sudden, one morning, as a 26-year-old young man, all of a sudden, God begins to prick his heart. And I began to, regardless, and I began to tell them that regardless of that young man being raised in the church, he needed salvation just as desperately as the young man from the Antifa. And it wouldn't do me much good to tell them a parable about another young boy that happened to be. 11 years old, and he's been picked up on a by, up on a, in, a, in a church van on Sunday morning and brought to Sunday school. When he goes home, he's going home to an alcoholic dad. He's going home to a mother who's afraid to show him love because if she does, the dad might get mad at him. But all of a sudden, God begins to prick his heart. See, for you all sitting here today, you will relate to that in the idea of universal need of salvation. Right? You will relate to that. And I, could tell, I can make up a parable about that. But that wouldn't mean a thing to my Amish friends. But you know what I could do for my Amish friends that wouldn't make a lick of sense to you, most likely? I could tell them about a 10-year-old boy that stood up at 4 o'clock this morning. He's going to get 11 next week. And he, after church, he's going to have a meal and his mommy is not the woman that gave birth to him. But mommy's dumplings are really fit. 
Or I could tell you about another 42-year-old man who owns a cabinet shop. He's been on Rumspringer ever since he was 16. He's never made a decision to even join the Amish church. And he's been on Rumspringer. He could go, he can go to Amish church, he can go to the weddings, he can go to all that. And all of a sudden he picks up his Bible at home. He begins to read. He begins to read that for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. He begins to read in John where it says, except a man be born of the water and of the Spirit. And all of a sudden he's saying, what does that mean? Okay? You know what? My Amish friends will relate to every one of those little scenarios that I give it. They know what it means to turn instead of become 11 years old, they get 11. They don't wake up in the morning, they stand up in the morning. Okay? So they relate to all of that. See, and if I told them about the Antifa guy, it's not, it's, it's not going to connect. But if I told them about the Rumspringer, 42-year-old Rumspringer boy, they'll understand that. I could tell them, I could tell them about a 24-year-old boy, young man that just got married a month ago. You know, he, 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 he was deciding to get married and so he went through the classes to get baptized and so he got baptized simply just to get married. He didn't, he didn't get baptized because God convicted his heart to says, repent of your sins and be baptized every one of you for the remission of your sins. No, he understood if he was ever going to get married and stay Amish, he was going, he was going to have to be baptized into the church. Doesn't mean he had a relationship with God. It doesn't mean he woke up one morning and began to pray. They'll understand that. And if I'm using those three individuals as a relationship of showing the universal need of salvation, they understand that. So can I tell you, that's, why, that's how Jesus told parables also. So that the people would understand exactly what He was talking about. Can I also tell you that when Jesus crafted these stories, He had no throwaway words. He had no throwaway words. What do you mean, uh, Dennis said he had no throwaway words? Here's, here's what I mean by that. When he said a corn of wheat, it, he meant a corn of wheat. Why? Because a seed, just saying a seed went into the ground, was not going to illustrate everything he wanted to say. When, when he said two men, one of them was a Pharisee and one of them was a publican, if he would have just said two men came to the temple, he could have told his parable, but he would not have been able to illustrate everything, the details of everything he wanted to get them to understand about this parable. So therefore, he had no throwaway words. When he said a mustard seed, the, it, it wasn't just a seed. It was a mustard seed. 
Why? Because He wanted to illustrate that the smallest, the tiniest of seed is what He was referring to. Okay? Now I want us to go to our particular parable that we talked about. Now that we understand why Jesus used those parables, I want us to go to the parable that we talked about. In Luke chapter 18, beginning with verse number 9, And He spake this parable unto certain which trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. So, I want you to know the audience. I want you to recognize the audience he was speaking to here. It's the audience that's over here on this side of the building. It's not this audience, it's not this audience, and it's not this audience. It's this audience over here on the other side of the building he was talking to. Why? What, what, what are you saying, Dennis? Remember, okay, who was his audience? They trusted in themselves that they were good enough within themselves, that righteousness flowed. Was, they were righteous enough within their own efforts. They did not need the righteousness of God. They were good enough themselves. Everyone say, that's not me. That's not me. They, not only did they think, not only they think that righteousness within themselves, they were the type of people that looked across the aisle and says, boy, I'm glad I'm not like her. I, I, I'm thankful that I'm better than her. That man, I'm a lot more religious than her. Everyone say, that's not me. So first of all, well, why are you telling us about this parable if we're not the audience that he was talking to? Well, I want you to understand you're not the audience he was talking to. I'm going to trust that there's no one sitting in here that, that, that would, would, would fall into the category of the audience he's talking to. And can I tell you something? If you happen to be, then you're going to see this sermon a little different than everybody else is going to see today. Okay? And I'm going to give you the benefit of the doubt that you're not that audience. That audience happens to be sitting over here somewhere. Okay? And so here, that happened to be the audience of those that trusted in themselves that they were righteous and they despised others. So now let's go to verse 10. Two men went into the temple to pray. The one a Pharisee and the other a publican. Not real men. Not real men. Not a real publican, not a real Pharisee. Just a made-up story. A made-up audience and a made-up story about two different men. Not a, real para, not a real Pharisee and not a real publican. Okay? Now, what, what is a Pharisee? A Pharisee is one who has separated himself from the, from the others to study the law, 
priding themselves in prayer and fastings and understandings of the Old Testament law above the average Hebrew. Oh, I've studied. I got it down. I got all my T's crossed. My I's dotted. I've got it down. I can tell you. Hey, if anybody needs to know where we really need to stand on the law, just come and talk to me. That's what a Pharisee was. Now, can I tell you something? Jesus did not say this audience over here. That's a fictitious audience. He did not say they were Pharisees. He said one of the fictitious guys that came into the temple was a Pharisee. But he did not say they were Pharisees. They were just people that could relate to Pharisees. Matter of fact, could I even suggest to you this? In his, would he wanted to even get across the point that those that trust in themselves, that the righteousness come from them, themselves, may, may actually even despise the Pharisees. They may even think they're better than the Pharisees. They know that those Pharisees are white and suckers full of dead man bones. They may have been abused by them. They may have, they may, they may have been judged by them. They may have, they may have had that letter of the law thrown at them and them saying, you, you know, made feel like they're not even Christians. I, 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 I don't know. Okay, but I do know this: He knew that those that were here in that day would relate to a prayer of a Pharisee who thought. He was pretty important because of his adherence to the law. Now it says this, that the one a Pharisee and the other one a publican. A publican is one who is a farmer of taxes. Now I'm real quick like going to give you this. Here's what would happen. The Roman government would set up a, a publican. They would set up a guy. He was a Roman and he lived in Rome. He was a Roman, and he lived in Rome. And he would be in charge of making sure all the taxes came from the Hebrew people. The buck's going to stop with him as far as what got delivered to the government. So that guy would take a man from Rome, move him to Jerusalem, and that man would become a chief publican. Most of the time, he was a Roman who lived in Jerusalem. The Roman that lived in Rome would say, say to him, here's how much Johnny owes for taxes this year. Make sure it all gets settled. So you know what he learned to do? He learned to do this. He learned to say, okay, well, he owes $12, so I'm going to tell him he owes 14 why? Because when, when the 14 comes, we're going to take 12 of it. I'm going to keep one, but I'm going to make myself a real good friend to this Roman who lives in Rome, and I'm going to make sure he has an extra one. Okay? So now, what do they got? Now they got just publicans. Who are publicans? Traditionally, they are Jews that live in Jerusalem and they got, one of them's got this segment of the people to collect the taxes from. The other one's got this group of people to collect the taxes from. And the other one's got this group of people to collect the taxes from. So this guy comes and says, hey, they, got, they owe $14. Well, this Jew would go and say, yo, 16. Why? Because he was going to go through the same process. 
Why? Because he was... So you know what? How many, how many know probably the most popular, the best, well-known chief publican? Chief publican. Now, what's a chief publican? Normally, a Roman living in Jerusalem, right? But how many know who the most popular chief publican in Scripture is? Zacchaeus. You mentioned him earlier, right? Yeah. He was probably the most. You know, what's, you know what's unique about Zacchaeus? Zacchaeus was a chief publican. Matter of fact, he had gotten so good at robbing the people and making his higher ups so have a little extra left over that they finally made him a chief publican even though he was a Jew. Alright? So, so can I tell you something? This audience really related to those cheaters that had robbed them of their money. They really connected to who that was. Alright? So here we have this fictitious story being told about this fictitious Pharisee and this fictitious publican, both of them praying fictitious prayers so Jesus could make the point He really wanted to make. So let's look at the prayer of the Pharisee, and it's not going to be my focus at all today. Verse number 11, And the Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank Thee that I am not as other men are, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, Lord, most of all, I am so thankful that I am not nearly as bad as pastor is today. No one would pray that prayer. Could you imagine? Could, that, that's why we know it's fictitious. Could, could you imagine? Brother, what, what's your name? For, just first name. Jeremy? Brother, what's your first name? Randy? Oh, I like Randy. Jeremy? I like Jeremy too, by the way, but my best friend was Randy. Okay. Could you imagine Randy coming up here? It's prayer meeting time before service, and he's up here strutting around. Randy's back there in the corner, got his head bowed. And oh, Jeremy's up here. Says, Thank you, Lord. And I am so thankful I'm not like those adulterers on my job. And I, I am thankful that I'm not an extortioner like some of those other characters in my neighborhood. And Lord, most of all, Lord, I want to make sure I'm heard right now, God. I am so thankful I'm not like Randy back there in the corner. Could the saints of the Most High make sure they heard what I said? So now, let's take a look at the prayer. Of the publican. And the publican standing afar off. 
I know right now I got you going like, where in the world is he going? I'm glad I got you there. And the publican standing afar off would not lift up so much as his eyes unto heaven, but smote upon his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I want you to look at the, the demeanor, the attitude of this fictitious publican praying this fictitious prayer. He stood afar off. Now, if we were in, and we call this the temple, this is the house of the Lord here today, where would he be standing at in this building if he was afar off? Maybe, maybe back there in that corner? Maybe he would find a way that he could sneak in behind that Christmas tree there and bury his face back there in that the farthest corner he could do it. Maybe, maybe, maybe around that little cove right there and off over there. Maybe, would that where he would be? Okay? I, I want you to see in your mind where this fictitious publican was at praying this fictitious prayer. It says this, he would not so much as lift up his eyes. He, he would not lift up so much as his eyes. But he smote upon his breast saying God be merciful to me a sinner I've come to talk to you today about this remember who God is talking to when he gives this parable he's not talking to you See, you know what? Here's our problem. We've made this publican prayer the model prayer of a, of, a, of a sinner. We've made this publican's prayer, this fictitious publican's prayer, the model of a prayer of humility. I've come to tell you, I, I know this is going to go against the grain. But I've come to tell you today, that is not at all what Jesus told that story for. And that is not at all the point He was wanting to make with this story. By all means, by all means, if you're a part of the congregation that's sitting over here, find you a place that you can come to, that you realize that your righteousness will never be found within your own ability and your own strength. Uh, come to that place where you understand that at the foot of the cross, uh, that brother and that sister and that sister and that brother and I stand on equal ground at the foot of the cross. And please, uh, come to that place. But can I tell you here today, that if you are not a part of that congregation, realize that is not a model prayer for you. Now it's wonderful that I'm saying that. I'm going to prove that here in just a few minutes. <laughs> not your fault, baby.
See, if we're not careful, we have sentenced the publican for the last thousand years to the corner. Don't you dare. Don't you dare lift your head up. Oh, how dare you ever look unto heaven. You make sure you get all those eyes dotted and those T's crossed. Okay, pastor. You get it all together like I've got it together. Now, now come out of that corner. Now lift your head. Now raise your hands when you've got it together like i got it together. Folks, that's all it takes is getting it together like i got it together. You come out of that corner because I don't have it together. I still stumble. I still fall. I still make mistakes. I still make dumb decisions. And God doesn't kick me back there in that corner and say, get back there. Don't you dare lift your hands right now. Pastor, God's put me in a ministry of a whole group of people. I love them to death. I love the bishops. I love the deacons. I love every one of them. And I know the ones that are standing there with a two by four over people's head ready to bang them over the head. And I know the ones that's been banged over the head. And God's put a love in my heart for both of them. And I know what it's like to minister. But I don't have to pull my Acts 238 out. All I've got to do is minister to people that just needs to know about Jesus and His love and His mercy and His grace. Let me tell you what this parable is doing. Jesus told this parable simply to express the two extremes of the Old Testament law. Your righteousness is the founding law. I'm not, I'm not bashing the law. It had its purpose. It brought us to the knowledge of sin. It brought us to the knowledge of what's right and what's wrong. So I'm not, I'm not demonizing the law here. By no means. But can I tell you something? The law has only the ability to do one of two things. The law will only browbeat you and keep you in a corner. Or the law will cause you to stretch your stuff spiritually and be, be, become spiritually arrogant and to become doctrinally uh, pious. That's what the law will do. It can only do one or of one of those two things. It cannot bridge the gap between the corner and glory. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. That's why in Hebrews chapter 7 and verse 19, 
the writer of Hebrews, whoever that is, says this. For the law made nothing perfect. But the, but the bringing in of a better hope did. What? By the which. Until you get all your I's dotted and your T's crossed. You must stand in the corner. But once you get them there, then now come on up here and draw nigh to God. I'm going to tell you, God never intended for you to ever be in that corner. He didn't tell this story because he, had to, he wanted to make sure that every one of us need at least a little span of time standing back in the corner. No, the Old Testament law would drive you back there or it will drive you to spiritual arrogancy. The Old Testament law will keep you beat down and hammered down and saying, I'll never be able to do it. I'll never be able to measure up. I'll never be able to live for God. That's what the Old Testament law will do. But let me tell you what the new covenant will do for you. It abridged that gap uh, and what the Old Testament law could not do. Amen. He says, even while you're a sinner, even while you're about there, draw nigh, draw nigh to me and I will draw nigh to you. I'm going to have to look up here for this one. Ezekiel. I told myself, Pastor, I'm going to stay calm today. I'm out in Ohio. I went to, the, I went to school with Ohio kids. For I, Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 24. For I will take you from among the heathen and gather you out of all countries and will bring into you into your own land. Verse 26. Oh, excuse me. 25. Then will I sprinkle clean water upon you and, will, and you shall be clean from all your filthiness and from all your idols will I cleanse you. A new heart also will I give you. And a new spirit will I put within you. And I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh. And I will give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statues. And ye... Again, I'm not demonized. I'm not saying go out and live any way you want to live because mercy's got it all covered. That's not what I'm saying here. Yes, He'll teach you to walk in His statutes. Yes, He'll teach you. But until you get there, until, until you've developed there, understand Jesus, once you've fallen at the feet of the cross, He doesn't want you back in that corner beating your chest, unwilling to lift your hands to Him. <sighs> And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statue and you shall, be, you shall keep my judgments and do them. Verse 28, and you shall dwell in the land that I give to your fathers and you shall be my people and I will be your God. I will be your God. Hallelujah. <laughs> Praise God. See, can I tell you something? Mark chapter 14, 
56. I don't have time to read it. But Mark chapter 14, verse 56 lets us know that fear, fear, can I tell you something? Fear is not of God. Fear is not of God. Fear. I'm not talking about godly fear. But fear will keep you from coming to the feet of Jesus. Luke chapter 17 and verse 12. Shame will keep you from coming to the feet of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Shame will keep you from coming to the feet of Jesus. But in Jeremiah chapter 23 and verse 23, God lets us know that I am not a God that is of a far off, but I am a God, amen, that is at hand. I am not a God that's keeping myself from you saying, well, you measure all up and you get it all together and now you come and talk to me. No, 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 no. He is a God that is a God at hand. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise God. Praise God. Hallelujah. See, Our scripture text was Luke chapter 18. We read all the way to verse 14. And he tells this parable. Jesus is telling this fictitious story. Okay? To a fix, not a fictitious crowd. The crowd was real. But he's telling this fictitious story to this crowd. A man that trusted in himself that they were righteous within themselves. And they could look at others and say, I'm so glad I'm better than they are. He's telling this story. All right? Totally made up story. But as soon as he's done telling this parable, I want you to see what happens to the crowd. Not this crowd. That crowd. And they brought unto him also Think they got the story? You think they got the message? And all of a sudden, how this crowd over here that thought they could judge all of you, criticize all of you, tell you just where all you're wrong at, how dare you even think you have a right to to the throne room of God. How dare you even think you've got a right to the foot of the cross? How dare you even... That crowd all of a sudden began to bring the most vulnerable, needy, least... If I could say it this way and not offend anyone because all of our children are the, the greatest... But they brought the least that there is to God because they realized even the most vulnerable and the most needy and the most eh, worthless I, I, I don't, I, I don't want to I, I know when my girls were born they weren't worthless but I will tell you I have to admit now I couldn't admit it back then but all they knew how to do is feel that diaper and yell and scream when they needed more food. I, I, I you know, I, I, I was looking. I, I went my, of course, you know, we're old. 
So some of the stuff you wouldn't relate to, but when our first daughter was born, she was in that nursery window, and I'd sneak out of my wife's room, and I'd let her get asleep, and I'd sleep out of there, sleep, sleep out of there, and I'd go look at that window, and well, there's one time, my daughter, <laughs> I'm telling you, she, she was incredible. She's amazing. She still is. She can do things no one else can do. She rode over all the way where she was laying on her stomach. They had her laying on her stomach. She rode all the way over on her back. She raised up and she looked at me and she says, I love you, Daddy. <laughs> you believe that? That was, that was a parable. As thrilled as I was with her, all she knew how to do is fill that diaper and yell and scream when mommy needed to feed her more. Okay? That crowd brought the infants that he... You know what they realized after he told them this parable? That even the most vulnerable and even the most needy don't need to stand back in the corner. But they need to be brought to Jesus. So that he could do what? So he could touch them. So he could touch them. Can I say to you today, I don't know where you're at with God. I don't know, I don't know what last night was to you. Last night may have been filled with failures, mistakes, and dumb decisions. But I'm going to tell you today, God did not bring you to this house today because now He wants you, regardless of what last night was or last week was. God did not bring you to this house today so you could go back there in that corner and beat your brow and bow your head and say, I'm not worthy to even be here. You know what He brought you here for? Regardless of what last night was, regardless of what last week was, He brought you here. Amen. Why? So you could come to the throne of grace today. So you could stand before Him. Hallelujah. As Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 15 says, For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Verse 16, Let us therefore... Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace. You know why you need to go boldly to the throne of grace? Because you need grace. If you don't need grace today, you have no need to come to the throne of grace. Lamentations tells me that His mercies are new every morning. You know why His mercies are new every morning? Because he knew the mercies I had last night, I used them all up. And I need more this morning. Come boldly unto the throne of grace. What? That you may obtain mercy. You don't need mercy, why do you even need to obtain anymore? That you may obtain mercy and what? Find grace. At that time when all your I's are dotted and your T's are crossed. I 
I want to tell you this verse of Scripture is not telling me to go stand back in the corner until I got, got this grace thing all figured out, until I got all this mercy thing figured out, and I'm in no need of it. And now I can come to the throne of God and we can just have a good old Holy Ghost Pentecostal hold down. No, you know what He's saying to us? He's saying, don't go stand back in that corner. There's no need for you to be afar off. That's only the extreme. That's what the law has to offer you. That's what the law has to offer you. But let me tell you what the new covenant, let me tell you what the cross has to offer you. It has forgiveness to offer you. It has redemption to offer you. It has grace to offer you. It has mercy to offer you. It has forgiveness. Uh, hallelujah. It has restoration to offer you. <laughs> hallelujah. Hallelujah, brother. Uh, whatever you guys do for, for, for music here at the end, can you all stand right now? Can I tell you something? There's somebody in this house today. God's been talking to you. I, I mean, we'll say it this way. There's, there's somebody here today that you have been filled with the baptism of the Holy Ghost. You've been baptized in Jesus' name. But I'm going to tell you something. The devil's been beating you up about who you are and how, how, how you just don't measure up with the rest of the saints around here. And I'm going to tell you something. God wants you to come to this altar, raise your hands, throw your hand in the air, and say, I belong. I belong. I may not be perfect, but I belong. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You've heard the word of the Lord. Why don't you just cl close your eyes and lift your hands? If He spoke to you today, As a church family, why don't we just come forward so it doesn't make awkward for others. But if you need the Lord and you feel what He's preached to you today, I ask you to just come forward and lift your hands. You don't need to stand in the corner. You're a child of God. You're chosen by Him. You're called out of darkness into this marvelous light. God sent Brother Kilman here today to speak to you and to your spirit and to your heart. Here I am, Lord. Here I am. God, I'm going to come boldly before the throne of grace. I can't look at myself, oh Lord, as that publican anymore in the corner. Because you've opened my eyes, oh Lord. And you've, you've brought your grace and your mercy into this room. Oh God. Hallelujah. 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 In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. His mercies. His mercies are renewed every morning. It's a trick of the devil to make you feel like you don't, you don't belong in the kingdom of God. It's a trick of the enemy to let you, let make you feel like, I, I can't get this all right and so I don't belong. But I can tell you, if you will yield yourself today, the Lord will. He will open the windows of heaven and pour out His Spirit upon you. Hallelujah. Don't you judge yourself, you let Jesus judge you. Grab somebody's hand right now and lift their hand up. 
lift your hands up together and we'll agree together that the presence of the Lord and the power of the Lord is in this room. He's here to set you free. He's here to bring liberty into this room and into your heart today. Oh God, we need you. We love you, Lord God. We thank you for your presence. We thank you for your word. Hallelujah.